0: Friends, we are going to have uh, multiple Bible passages this morning as we uh, skim the thought of God-exalting worship, but I will read uh, Romans 12, 1-2 uh, as one of our readings. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Friends, one day Jesus was walking down the streets and a man came up to Him and said, Lord, can you just tell me something? Can you answer this one question for me? What's the most important command in the entire Bible? And so Jesus engages with this man and uh, says, well, you want me to tell you the most important verse in the Bible, do you? Uh, um, Let me just tell you what it is and make sure you get this, because if you get this, you understand what the Bible's about and understand what God's about. Most important verse in the Bible, just listen carefully, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you don't get anything else, Jesus says, you need to understand that life is about loving God, being devoted to God with your whole being. And we're talking about an undivided devotion to the Creator God that Israel worshipped. And so when we're talking about worship today, God exalted worship, Worship is knowing, it's loving, it's serving, it's honoring, and it is commending God. Someone had said worship is to attribute worthship to God. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise, worthy of adoration. That's what we're talking about. And worship ultimately is living for God and His glory in all things. It's our primary objective. We together live for His glory, but together in God-exalting worship. And seven ways in which we can do that this morning. Because there's, there is a temptation in some churches I think we worship simply when we sing. We, we do when we sing, but that's only one part of it. Firstly, we worship God by living for His glory, by having that true perspective of putting God first. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is creator. He is worthy of our worship. He deserves glory, honor, and power. And therefore, our life is wasted, let me be very clear, if we do not live for the glory of God. If you live for your glory or someone else's glory and not the glory of God, then your life is wasted if God doesn't have first place. We witness for His glory. We teach for His glory. We minister to the poor for His glory. We love for His glory. We run playtime for His glory. We eat for His glory. We drink for His glory. We use our spare time for His glory. We work for His glory. We go to the ends of the earth in mission for His glory. Because people are not glorifying Him. That's worship. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul writes, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every moment of your life, every moment, when you're alone where with others in church, at work, at home, you, you need to have this perspective that everything you say, everything you do, every action, every thought ought to be for the glory of God. And in the use of our spiritual gifts, 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be glorified. Or the NLV says, praise through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Even in the use of your gifts, so as our singers have led us, even as I preach the word this morning, if, if you are not seeing the beauty of God, or you're not seeing the greatness of God and, and the worship of God, then in one sense I've failed. Because it's not about how eloquently I speak or what illustrations I use or, 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 or what passion I have. It is about the goodness of God and the greatness of God that I would pray that as you hear God's words, you capture. See, to glorify means to magnify Him, to portray Him as He really is in all of His majesty, His beauty, His power. We don't have a small God, we have a, a great majestic God, and we need to be able to, to worship this majestic God. And as I've said, we never magnify or glorify ourselves. We must not make much of ourselves, but much, make much of God and His mercy. One of the ways in which we glorify God is by filling His purposes for us. We talk about our purposes, the five M's. But you see, when people lost people get saved, God is glorified. When uh, people experience authentic Christian fellowship in here, God is glorified. When we grow to Christ-like maturity, God is glorified. When we use our spiritual gifts for the benefit of others, God is glorified. When we people witness declaring the goodness and mercy of God and they're drawn to Him, God is glorified. These famous words by John Piper that I quoted a couple of weeks ago, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God exalting worship. You don't exalt God in worship unless you find your delight in Him. Find your joy in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37:4. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, Sing all you who are upright in heart, rejoice in the Lord. Know that in him, as we saw last week, you have the beautiful blessings chosen before the creation of the world, redeemed, adopted with a certain uh, future to come, sealed with the Holy Spirit we talked about last week. See all that God has given you, delight in Him, and bring glory to His name. Secondly, we worship God by surrendering ourselves to Him. I urge you, brothers, this is from Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When he says, therefore, that's the reason why the therefore is there, Right? Chapters 1 to 11 of Romans describes our sin, our rebellion, Christ's sacrifice, Christ's atoning work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and how we are now adopted children of God. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ in Romans 8. And so Romans 1 to 11, he explains the wonderful work of God to save rebels and sinners. Therefore, and then he says, therefore, in light of that beautiful gospel truth, brothers and sisters, now... Offer your bodies completely to God. Why does he say, offer your bodies? Why doesn't he say, offer your spirits? Because without your body, you can't do anything on this planet, right? So God doesn't, oh, yeah, just offer your heart. No, 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 offer your bodies. Do something with the hands and the feet that God has given you, with the mouth God has given you, with the ears he's given you, with the talents he's given you. Use your body for his glory. Now, one day, we're going to get new bodies, Much better bodies, perfected bodies, like Christ's resurrected body. But until then, God says, give me what you've got. He wants your heart, we know that, and he wants your body. And he wants them as living sacrifices. You would know that in the Old Testament, uh, they had a sacrificial system where you would bring, and you would put to death an animal, often. But he said, no, no, I don't want a dead sacrifice now. I want a living sacrifice. One that's active and working and seeking to bring glory to God. Rick Warren writes, the problem with Christians is that we sing onward Christian soldiers on Sunday, and we go absent without leave on Mondays. Courageous here on the Sunday. We're living for Jesus on the Sunday. We're going to change the world for Jesus on the Sunday. Then Monday morning, those kids are screaming, screaming you've got to get them to school your husband's running out the door your wife's running out the door to go to work you've just had an argument about time to get to work you're not thinking about the glory of jesus you're not focused that's tough isn't it and then we get guilty by thursday we haven't done anything for jesus and then it's sunday again that preacher he's going on again right about living for the glory of jesus Learn to surrender to God that every day, every moment can be used for Him. Through the tough times and the good times. Rick Warren again writes, Surrendering your life is not a foolish emotional impulse, but a rational, intelligent act. The most responsible and sensible thing you can do with your life, your wisest moments, will be when you say yes to God. I love that. You see, if we want to be involved in God-exalting worship, we surrender completely to God. God, take my life do with my life whatever you want. I'm yours. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, wrote: The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. Surrendered people that once God uses. God, these are my gifts. God, these are these are the times. God, this is who I am. Please take me. One of the great Christian leaders of the 20, 20th century was the late Bill Bright, the founder of what's called, what's called Campus Crusade for Christ. And now called Crew and Power to Change in Australia. And through crusade staff around the world, uh, the Four Spiritual Laws. tracked. anyone remember that from university ministry? Four Spiritual Laws. And the Jesus film that they created also shown uh, around the world, seen by over 4 billion people, maybe 5 billion now. 150 million people responding to Christ uh, through that ministry. And Bill was once asked, why did God use and bless your life so much, Bill? What was it? Why not others? I don't know why, but I do know that when I was a young man, I made a contract with God. I literally wrote it out and signed my name at the bottom. It said, from this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Surrendered. Servant, slave of God. That's God-exalting worship. Thirdly, we worship God by singing to Him. Yes, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. I haven't seen a heart for a while up here, but you know, drums, guitars, and uh, violins, and a few other things. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And then in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms. Hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You see, we teach the word of God to each other and we sing psalms and hymns to each other, and that way we encourage each other, we worship God, and we teach each other through the songs. Now, I love that the Bible says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's a great encouragement to me. You would be aware of that. It doesn't say, Hit the right note for God, right? It says, Rejoice in the Lord. And a joyful noise comes out of a joyful heart, doesn't it? Sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, but men in Australia, we don't sing. Let me take you to a football game. Thousands are singing. Let me take you to Celtic. I'm following Celtic in the Scottish League these days, by the way. Nothing to do with my Greek heritage. Bagpipes, bouzouki, similar. <laughs> but, but they have an Australian coach, Ange, of course, Ange Postokoglu. He's the coach of Celtic. And there's 60,000 people in their stadium. And they sing the whole time, most of them are men. Now I figure if men can sing at a soccer game, I'm sure men could sing in praise and worship to God, right? Because men are singing, people are running around kicking this piece of leather all over the place and into a net. And we sing to the glorious God of the universe, who has purchased us by His blood and made us His own. I love coming to sing songs of worship. Can I encourage you to sing from your heart to praise our God? And one of the things when we praise God, when there's joy in our hearts as we sing, and if outsiders come in, it could be a playtime as you sing Christian songs at times, and parents are listening and the kids are learning these great little songs. Interestingly, the number of adults who remember the songs they learned at Sunday school or at a kids' club, they remember them later in life. Maybe they will be drawn to Christ. And in your home groups this week, that's one of the themes, a the key theme, how the gathering of God's people in praise and worship can have an influence on the outsiders. So have a look at that in week two of your Bible studies this week. Fourthly, we worship God by praying to Him. See, prayer expresses our God dependency. Prayer says that we will not be reliant on ourselves because we are not God, but we will call out to God, and say, God, you're in charge, you are sovereign, you are powerful, we trust you to work. That is worship. Matthew 9, for example, this is how you should pray, said Jesus, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, we worship God by desiring that His name be hallowed or honoured and glorified. We worship God by desiring that His will is done here as it is on earth, in heaven. We worship by trusting Him to provide our daily bread and forgive our sins. We worship by acknowledging His power to keep us from temptation. I can't keep myself from temptation, it's everywhere. But God can give me the power to resist that temptation. And friends, one of the beautiful things about the church is that we're in this together and as we gather in our home groups, as we gather ones and twos and we pray for one another, as we gather in these larger gatherings on a Sunday, whether on live stream or right here, we realize that we pray together, we're in this together for His glory. God says in Philippians 4, go to Him when you're anxious. I'm anxious quite a bit, by the way, over different matters. But do not be anxious. That's why I've memorized this verse. About anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, present your request, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Come to Him. And maybe you're anxious this morning, there's something happening in your life. and You think, God, I'm trying to run my life my own way. I'm not trusting in You. Come to Him. And finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be it, just as it was with you. Why did Paul say, pray that it would be spread? Why didn't Paul just say, I'm a great evangelist. I'm just going to go and evangelize everyone. And they're going to get saved. Because it's not Paul. It's not you know, what he says or what he does. It's the God behind the evangelist. It's the God behind the gospel that leads to the transformations. Do you have time to talk to God? Friends, we never have time to do anything, do we? So I feel, like I don't have time for that. Yes, I do. Put down the phone and talk to God. Turn off Netflix and talk to God. Go a to a bed a bit earlier before you fall asleep and talk to God. Get up a little bit early in the morning and talk to God. I'm talking to myself now, right? How about you? We never have time. We make time for the things that are a priority for us. We worship God by listening to His Word. Five. All Scripture is God breathed. God breathes it out, he says. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gives us this word. He breathes it out. He says it's inspired by God. And when we read it, we show our love and our devotion to God. And we spend time with him to hear his voice. You know, sometimes uh, you have a conversation. I've had them with someone, and I've probably been guilty as everyone else. And you're talking to someone, and uh, you're not listening to anything they have to say, right? You're ready for the next conversation, someone more interesting, what you're going to do next, what you're having for lunch and dinner, and they're still talking. And all of a sudden, you realise that person is not listening to me at all. Guilty many times. And God has spoken, and God is speaking. And sometimes I'm too busy to hear him speak. And I break his heart. Psalm 112. Praise be to you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. He recounts them. You see, he memorizes the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate On your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, I will not neglect your words. Friends, when we talk like that about God's word, it's an act of worship. How do you feel about God's word? Do you delight to go and hear God in those quiet moments? Sixthly, we worship God by publicly identifying with Him. In other words, we say, Yeah, we are Christians, we are followers of Jesus, Uh, we believe that He is God's Son. died and rose again for us. We believe that He changes life, we believe He's changed our lives. We identify with Jesus publicly, letting people know in the little ways and in stronger ways. (laughs) Last year Millard and I were at Westfield, uh, Hurstville and uh, we were going out uh, towards the station and we saw two Muslim guys uh, evangelising, Muslim evangelising, this uh, young woman. Uh, So Millard got quite distressed with that as I was walking past, I was just going to walk past and he thought, no, they're trying to evangelize her. We've got to intervene, <laughs> right? <laughs> we got to save this woman. <laughs> so we stopped, and so he said, no, no, let's, let's talk to these guys. So we stopped, and he started a conversation with the guy, oh, I might, uh Talk to him, and they ask questions, and they critique our faith, and I started to answer some questions. And two of us are going with these guys, and then the woman left. We went, hallelujah, she's gone. <laughs> they're not listening to the Muslim uh, uh, words any longer. And then as we tried to answer and debate back and forth after a while, they, were, they, they took off too. They didn't want to talk to us any longer uh, about spiritual matters. But sometimes you've got to do the, the hard yard. Sometimes you've got to save other people from error and be willing to engage them in praying that maybe God will open up their eyes to see the truth of the gospel. But you know, so Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Be courageous. Just in passing, share the gospel. You know, one of the good things is that when you're shining your life for Jesus and I'm with you, I'm more courageous to shine my life for Jesus. When there are three or four of you, um, I think I'm thinking of playtime ministry. A whole bunch of moms praying and trying to be love people in Jesus' name. And when you're struggling a little bit, you see your sister or your brother sharing Jesus and it gives you the lift to keep going together. You see in this work for the gospel. Or you're down in your soccer team, or or, in our, or some other team, or at the gym, and you there. You go with a Christian friend, and slowly you, you try to influence those around you. When someone else with you, it gives you great courage. So you don't have to bash people over the head with the Bible when we're talking about evangelism. You might just make a reference that I was sorry I was at church Sunday morning. I couldn't come to that event. Can we catch up later? Or mate, my kids go to the that uh, Baptist Church youth group. Such a great time. Heaps of kids. Great leaders. Um, or I was reading in my Bible this morning. You're dealing with situations. I was reading my Bible. This verse that gave me a great encouragement this morning. Or I'm going on a bus trip with Prime Time. And uh, we're going to go on this lovely cruise down to Hawkesbury River. Are you interested in coming? Great bunch of people. I don't know about you, but what gives me courage now is that uh, I used to be really anxious about this matter, but I took it to God and I just prayed and God gave me a peace. And I said, I noticed there's a peace about you. I don't have that peace. Where did you get that peace? Natural, simple conversations, identifying yourself as a follower of Jesus and seeing where the conversations will go. If they don't know you're a Christian, you'll never have that conversation. And two other ways in which Jesus taught us to identify with Him in worship is, number one, communion, the Lord's Supper. Remember, He said, break bread, eat of the bread and drink of the cup, and that way you will remember who I am. And the early disciples, right at the beginning, as they gathered in Jesus' name, and the outsiders would see them and they would look at what they were doing and think, what are you guys doing? Some accused them of being cannibals because they were eating Jesus' body and drinking His blood. But others got a bit closer and they went, wow, you guys are remembering His death. The other one is baptism. Really early in the beginning of the Christian church, and this is really important for anyone who may not yet have been baptized, is that they call them to repent, place their faith in Jesus Christ, and the outward visible symbol that they've now gone from being a Jewish people to Christians but they were baptized, immersed in water. Now, under the water, out of the water, dying with Christ, being raised with Christ as a symbol of new life in Christ. He says, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in Acts chapter 2. So can I encourage you, if you have not yet identified with Christ in that way, as the Bible has clearly revealed that maybe you need to think about being baptized in worship of the true God. Finally, we worship God by giving to Him. Giving is at its core the essence of love. Someone said you spell love G-I-V-E because that's what love's about. Isn't that true? When you love someone, you give to them. You give them time. You give them uh, affection. You give them money. You take them on holidays. If, if you love someone, you'll give to them. Somebody said you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's impossible. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8-7, but just as you excel in everything, he's commending the Corinthian church in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, Christians ought to be the most generous people in the world. Excel in the grace of giving to support God's work, God's uh, spread of the gospel across the globe, to care for the poor and the needy. The point is this, whoever so sparingly Will also reap sparingly. Who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I have this uh, surprising uh, letter I receive uh, about once a month, I think. There's someone I've never met before, and uh, he may be watching our live stream this morning. I'm not sure. He, I wrote a letter to him and thanked him for his offerings. But he sends me a, a lovely letter somewhere in from Parramatta. And he puts it in there. He puts a couple of verses in there, handwritten verses like these ones. Give a, 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 one must be a cheerful giver and uh, not under compulsion. Then writes another verse from the Old Testament. And it gives me little butterflies in there. And it gives me some, some little flowers sometimes. And a check towards the church, to the Baptist church. God bless you. I don't know who he is and if you're watching today, thank you so much for giving to bless the church. But somewhere God has convicted him that he should give and I won't tell you how much. (laughs) And I know many of you give and that's why we've been able to fund the ministries in this church uh, over so many years and support our missionary workers across the globe and sponsor children in needy areas and and, and so on. Thank you uh, for doing that. But God encourages us in our worship to give. But maybe that's a blind spot for you too. You think, oh, you know, I like to get, I come and I'm blessed here, but I don't give in different ways. Someone says, how much to give? Well, in the Old Testament, it was the 10%, but that was linked with temple worship. But let me be clear, I don't think that we are bound by the Old Testament principle here. But I do think we're bound by the New Testament principle of sacrifice, generosity, and cheerfulness and I just figure you might as well at least start with 10%. If they gave that much in the Old Testament, why don't you start with 10% and add to that if you're able to sponsor children, support missionaries and other appeals, which is my, my own practice and our own family. But that's between ultimately between you and God. Friends, the Westminster Catechism, as I conclude ask this question. Catechism is sort of a bunch of questions and answers, so we can teach people the truths of the Bible. It says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let us together glorify God and enjoy Him in 2022. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you, because we... Simply respond to all that you've done for us in Jesus, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, we saw last week your adoption, the redemption we have through Christ. Lord, we ask that we would see your greatness, we would delight in it, we would be satisfied in you, and we would live in God-exalting worship. Lord, refine us in maybe one of these seven areas we need to think again. Refine me, Father, in the areas where I need to change, where I need to grow, where I need to worship you and not hold back. Lord, help us to surrender to you, to give our lives to you and undivided devotion. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.